Oh, oh no, mine started. Okay. <laughs> I was about to be like, oh god. Welcome back to Oddities, yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's our, it's our new intro song. It's beautiful. Mm. I'm Cassie. I started choking <laughs> when I said that. Did you hear that? I'm like, ah, ah, ah. I'm Anna. I can't choke. <laughs> and, and don't choke because I'm doing it for us. And welcome back to Strange Town. And hello, newcomers of Strange Town. That's Hello, right. people who never left Strange Town. <laughs> welcome. Papa. Papa. <laughs> what? Wow, population. You guys. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Papa, okay, Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wow. Well, now that that's all hopefully under control and that doesn't happen again, but I make no promises. Oh, my microphone just took oh, a header Jesus off the table. Christ. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. Um, right. The usual. So all of our social information's there. Thank you to those of you who follow along. We love to see it. And uh, we also have our Patreon link. If you would like to donate to our show, you can do so for as low as a dollar a month. Um, thank you so much to everybody who does. And your donation gets you a bonus episode every week. Yeah. And also access to all of the former uh, like episodes that we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and we have a link to our merch shop. Check it out. We've got a new line. It's the Stay Spooky line. Right in time for spooky season because all the spookalabookalas are about. <laughs> you guys heard it here first. You heard it. Okay, I'm done. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. It's Sunday, and I'm planning on doing nothing but watching that new Netflix show, Squid Game. Hooray! And, and p- probably going for a run. <laughs> but, Hooray! Yeah. And uh, yesterday was the... Well, I guess we'll talk about that when we... When we ask about you, but yesterday was the bridal shower. Oh, hooray! Hooray! Yes, and uh, I think that's all that's going on with me. It's just work and um, oh, and I watched all of Sex Education season three in a day. <laughs> but that <laughs> okay, so you liked it? I did. Yeah. Okay. Great. I mean, I don't know if they need it. I I just feel like at a certain point, I'm talking to you, creators of Stranger Things. You guys got to call it. Like, just because this is a popular yeah. show on Netflix, if you don't have a story anymore, you don't have a story. And I'm really, really looking at you, Stranger Things. Well, all y'all know it's all about the money, so. Yeah, if but they like. Get another season, they're like, yeah, sure. You guys yeah, you know. don't have another. You don't have a story anymore. It yeah. just. I remember the. I don't even remember what happened in the previous season of Stranger Things, but I remember it. We were like, oh, so we're back where we started. Why am I still watching this show? <laughs> Yeah, and Hopper is in Russia? Oh, yeah, because they made this whole big thing that they were like, oh, Hopper's dead. And they were like, just kidding, he's in Russia. We were like, we knew he wasn't dead. I I have to be honest, I didn't know he wasn't dead. <laughs> oh, my God. As soon as they had this whole, like, moving thing, and I was like, well, he's not yeah, dead. Yeah. They're, they're not going to throw out somebody's favorite. Like, he's a fan favorite. He's one of my favorites, definitely. Like, I, I, like, I love Hopper. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's really just like something about him like really speaks to my soul. <laughs> yeah, because he's so. he's bitter and tired. <laughs> that's it. B is for bitter and T is for tired. And that's, yeah, 
And, and that's, that's the alphabet according to us. That's how I feel all the time. But yeah, mm. I, I'm very tired, and that's that's really it. How are you? I'm great. As you mentioned, yesterday was the bridal shower. It was a blast. It was, it was. a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Um, and, you know, my mom is listening. Mom, thank you again. I've thanked you a thousand and one times, but it'll never be enough because you've worked so hard on all of this. So thank you. And it was so and wonderful. Also, it was. It was like a really fun like chilled shower you know it was kind of like a like a very low-key like good time event and it was very that. your vibe it was and uh like big cheers and thank you to al fresco and flemington if any of you are ever in little flemington check them out delicious food the food was unbelievable so good and a beautiful space and you know thank you for letting us have my my shindig there so they were very uh, nice it was it was a great time and you know so many wonderful people showed up for me, and I just really appreciate it and everybody in my life. Aside from that, you know, it's another day, another dollar. She's balancing a lot. I'm, I'm going. School's going well. I like my classes very much this semester. That's good. Um, yeah, and that's you know. Oh, and this morning we met a uh, dog sitter for Donut for the wedding, and she is wonderful. So, uh, sh- she's hired, and that's great. <laughs> I love, and that's, life is so funny. I know, it really is. And then, you know, that's it, and I'm tired as well. So when we're done recording, I'm going to edit, and then I'm going to take, I'm going to go nighty nook nooks. I might take a little nappy, a little snooze. Yeah, I have a very strong feeling I'm going to hit the couch and take a snooze at some point this afternoon. Yeah, and chickadee check on out for a while. Time that's to power right. down and hallucinate. Yeah, that, that's what Sundays are for, and I won't hear anything else about that. I just really feel like I shouldn't work for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah that's a mood and that's that's where i stand at the moment and yeah i also so, don't think we should be working to live that's correct that doesn't seem fair to me but capitalism that doesn't and nor does a five-day work week no sure doesn't okay well take care everybody <laughs> stay strange <laughs> that's and that's that gang (laughs) that's that so um should we jump in and start this party right sure also what i just heard something and it sounded like an animal skittering oh scary i i think it i don't know what it was to be honest with you if there's an animal in here i'm just you're just gonna hear me abandon my post Um, and i'll just finish the episode yeah but when this comes out, it's Spooktober, so happy Spooktober. <gasps> it's Spooktober. Oh my god, I hope we've decided on our Halloween costumes at that point. Corey and I needed to lock that shit down. We're not doing anything, but like, it's Halloween, we need a costume. I, don't, I will hear nothing of it. Somebody just said to me, one of my friends was like, if you, she was like, I was thinking of being Georgie from It. I was like, if cool. you be Georgie, I'll fully be Pennywise. And she that's was like, so cool. she was like, there's something deeply wrong with you. <laughs> no, that's like so deeply correct, though. I, f- I feel that. I love that. I would uh, honestly like I'll be Pennywise anyway. I don't give a shit. Big, big Pennywise energy. Yeah, I'll get the I, I got to get like a well, that's the other thing It's like you either get a Halloween costume that takes up. Oh, my God. Why do motorcycles have to be so loud? don't like that's too loud it's too loud that is i agree and anyway um 
Halloween costumes always like either they take up so much time making them or all of a sudden you're like, I have to do this makeup in advance so that I know what I'm doing before it happens. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, what, aren't you guys between options for your costumes? We are. So we'll we'll get there. I feel like it's important to note that it's what day is it? September 19th when we're recording this. I'll have everyone know we usually have this decided by August. Life is just a lot this year. Okay. Fair so, enough. Yeah. I mean, I know my personal vote, but we'll see where the, we'll see where we land. Yeah. Well, um uh, right. So so shall yeah. we? So happy Spooktober and uh Happy Spooktober all. Mine's kind of on the shorter side. Uh, mine's a, a wee bit shorter too, so either way, would you like to start? Sure. Do it to it. I'm going to talk about post-mortem photography. Oh, I do love this topic. I saw it on Google Shits, and I'm so excited. Oh, excuse me. So oh. <laughs> Snuck one in just for you, ma. There's the baseline. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> okay. So, of course, we know about the trinkets of Memento Mori, which literally means remember you must die, that we know that they were kind of popular. Uh, lockets with hair being worn and kept death masks were created in wax images of paintings of death are they appeared everywhere dead people right right also i think it's interesting what people do with ashes now because that seems like a form of that Mm. like people can Mm. put it in necklaces and things which i think is interesting Mm -hmm. anyway that is interesting it's also i think it's interesting that they had a more not but back in the day, they had a totally different understanding of death than we do. You know, like, they mm-hmm. fully accepted yeah. it as a reality. Mm-hmm. Like, they were like, mm-hmm. just remember, you're going to die. You're going to die, aren't we all? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so it eventually yeah. evolved into post-humus portrait. Por- <laughs> oh, okay, I thought we were done, but we're not done. We're one We're one and one. <laughs> post-humus portraiture. 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 Which was a mode of painting in which wealthy Europeans and eventually Americans memorialized dead family members by depicting them alongside a slew of symbols, colors, and gestures associated with death. 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 This feels very much to me like when people put drawings and things in caskets. I put letters in caskets. Yeah. 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 I I think that's also interesting. Yeah. Anyway. So... In Victorian England, when death was rampant, in my notes I go see, <laughs> see I go see diphtheria, typhus, and cholera. Mm, mm, mm. Not to mention tuberculosis. Right, it, it, they were just they were just dropping. <laughs> so postmortem or death photography was surmised to have become popular because of the mourning of Queen Victoria in 1861 when Prince Albert died that year, which I think is fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah. It was, there was a first successful form of photography called daguerreotype, daguerreotype. Oh, daguerreotypes, yep. Got it the second time. You got them. Which was a small and highly detailed picture on polished silver, and it was a very expensive luxury, but it wasn't as much as having a portrait painted, which was previously the only way to preserve a person's image, so to speak. Right. I would love a picture on silver. Let's be real. That's so cool. That'd be dope as hell. 
Right. So as the popularity of photography increased, the cost for a daguerreotype fell. And in 1839, photography was introduced, and the very early photographer's slogan was, quote, Secure the shadow ere the substance fades. Ooh. Right? I love... That's spicy. I I like that. Ooh. Ooh, neat. Quick, somebody come up with a cool slogan for our show that's along those lines. Also... Stay Strange is great. Also, Secure the Shadow is the most heavy metal band name I've ever heard. Secure the Shadow. Yeah. I love it. And then their album title is Air the Substance Fades. Oh my god. This is it's like an AFI album. (laughs) I know. I'm seeing a lot of red and black. Yeah, that's a maze balls. Oh yeah, and like so much eyeliner. Ooh, I live for this. Ooh, and dark (laughs) lipstick. Okay, great. Excellent. But so apparently Victorians had a very elaborate morning ritual, even more so than just the postmortem photo. It often involves covering the house and the body in as much black crepe as could be afforded, as I well as more intimate acts like watching, washing the corpse, watching over it and accompanying it to the gravesite. I think mm-hmm. this is all That's, very interesting. It is. Yeah, it was a really cool I mean, I think it's cool. Some people are like, wow, that's morbid. But whatever. I mean, I think it's all like all the rituals surrounding death and all that is very interesting. And Victorian England was just like a really unique time and location, I feel like. There was a lot of like very bizarre things. And this these death rituals are among them. Also covering mirrors, right? Like that was a thing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I like the idea that it's because they saw so much death that they had these very specific rituals for it. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea of, you know, like sitting with the person and accompanying the person. I don't don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, so a poor family might have laid a dress across the body of a person who died in shabbier clothes before a photographer took the picture, but otherwise there was very little like beautifying of the corpse for the picture. Oh, I do like that as well. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that some of them had, like, if they coughed up blood, like, they would just leave blood on the face. This is all so metal. This it is, is really this, metal. This is big Secure the Shadow energy. <laughs> <laughs> so, most of the images were the dead lying in their coffins, but occasionally some were photographed in chairs, sometimes holding a book or other props. After the session, photographers manipulated the negative to make a dead person's eyes look less blank or to paint pupils over the closed eyelids. My nightmare. Ye old Photoshop. So scary. <laughs> this, I thought this was interesting because a modern myth is that during this time period, they tried to make them look alive and they didn't at all. The Victorians no, had sounds- no issue with showing people who were dead as being dead. Sounds quite the opposite, yeah. Yeah. And the modern day world has shown pictures and indicated how they prop them up, but Mike Zone, who is a co-owner of New York's Obscura Oddities and Antiques, and um, a long... Oh, I know. Um, all right. Okay. He's And he's a longtime post-mortem photography collector and dealer, says that, quote, the Victorians also did not use strings, wires, armatures, or anything else to pose the dead. They weren't meat puppets that were strung up. They were respectful and treated them with dignity, unquote. No strings attached. <laughs> My God. Yeah, but I do love that it was respectful. I also do not like the term meat puppets, but... Nope. That's, that's, I hate that. I That's... 
like <laughs> almost feels disrespectful, but fine. <laughs> but that's fine, Mike. Right? His name was Mike. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Mike. So, because people died in their homes rather than in hospitals, photographers obviously made house calls. Americans would keep the photos in hard cases that they might display on their mantle or keep in private, while Europeans commonly framed them and hung them on walls, and even took pictures of celebrities like Victor Hugo and sold them as, like, cards. God, I really like this whole, like, very gothic, like, playing cards. (laughs) With collector's items. With dead celebrities on them. (laughs) It's hard as fuck. Big secure the shadow energy. Secure the shadow. (laughs) Secure the shadow. Yeah. So, towards the turn of the century, parents and photographers began to post their deceased children for these photos by fixing their hair, dressing them up, or even opening their eyes. Family members and photographers would also place certain objects in the picture to symbolize life, death, and the constant march of time, like a drum, which is very interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Victorian nurseries were hit the hardest because fatalities in children were cropping up in the forms of measles, diphtheria, scarlet fever, rubella. Poor babies. I know, poor babies. But you name it, they had it going on pretty much. Yeah, for real. And it was the first time families thought of getting a picture taken because it would preserve their baby. Which Mm. I think that's incredibly interesting. It is. I also think it's interesting that we view it now as like almost macabre. And that's not the way they meant it. Mm -mm. They meant it as like an honorary thing. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And I just, I mean, like the babies aside, that's like, I think there's like a different sort of notion behind that. But like with the people, I just like how very like with, with the adults and everything and, and all this, the postmortem photography and everything, it was like very, um, I don't know, I just like that it was very matter-of-fact. I feel like this is a great tool to help people accept what death is. Right. You know? It's just interesting. So, obviously, as healthcare improved, the life expectancy of children, the demand for death photography diminished. Postmortem photographs themselves became less common in the 20th century because people were moved into medical facilities and photography became cheaper and more accessible. And once it became common for people of different income levels to have pictures taken during their life there was less need to capture their image in death. Hmm. And that's what I have on postmortem photography. Quite interesting. Yeah. Pretty spook, huh? That is spook, but like I, I, but in such a, I feel like the good word that I think he Mike that guy, Mike described it as is they were very respectful. Yeah. That's what I like about it. And they, but uh, they were respectful, but they were also like, yeah, we're not going to try and dress this person up and right. create all this fakeness. We're going to show it for what it is. And I think yeah. that's cool. And yeah. they were very accepting of like, this is reality and people may die. And if people want to keep them, their image, so to speak, or their memory, then that's, that's something they can do. Yeah. I think that's great. It's, it's interesting. Oh, hi. Excuse me. Sorry. I've bored you to death. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I actually really love that topic. Well done, you. <laughs> it also is, because I know we've talked about this, but because how comfortable you are with talking about death, you've made me very comfortable. We and love I, to hear it. And I feel like this this kind of thing, I have a totally new outlook on it than I used to because I'm much more comfortable with it. So to me, I'm like, oh, this is, they've, it's kind of almost opposite the way we are now. It is. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. 
it's all just so taboo and it's all just um well everybody's heard me talk about it before so if anybody really wants to hear my long-winded rant on death and, the, and how people view it then we could do that sometime <laughs> let us know but it just <laughs> i love talking about death <laughs> it just feels like now people are like oh well if you just don't think about it i'm like well you can't not think about it because hi it's gonna I'm, happen it, it, everyone's gonna die that's the only thing we know for sure in this life that and taxes that's true yeah unless we it's, dissolve um, the government <laughs> uh well hopefully one day one can dream that's but, um, right i uh yeah i don't know i mean i love death <laughs> i mean i don't love death i love talking about death and i really love um different death rituals from around the world and yeah. i think it's all very very interesting so well done great choice it also this felt even when we were talking about like putting stuff in caskets it feels very like almost egyptian in nature you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying when i say that mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally which I think it's um, I think it's interesting how we deal with the unknown, and this is the greatest unknown. So I think that's interesting. That it is. I, nice light topic uh, for you <laughs> this morning, gang. Yeah, yeah. Carry on now, you happy sunflowers. Here that's we go. <laughs> Mine is a uh, like very different topic from yours. Not many overlaps, and that's Trey Cool. This is from my cousin Kate. Hi, Kate. Thank Hi. you very much for the. Uh, recommendation. I don't actually know which way this is pronounced, so... Okay. I could be saying this wrong the whole time. Isn't that great, everybody? That's how, like, this is to prove that we are an excellent source to come to information. That's but right. Anyway, it's, the, it's either the Sibylline or Sibylline Oracles. Oh, dear. Okay. We don't know, but it's, you know... Okay, and so I'm clearly still very functional today. So, I like Sibylline better, so that's how I'm going to say it. The Sibylline, yep, 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 yep. The Sibylline oracles are a collection of oracular utterances written in Greek hexameters ascribed to the Sibyls, who were prophetesses who supposedly uttered these divine revelations in a pretty frenzied, like, wild-ass state. These were, like, some crazy bitches. Yeah. Oh, this is my new favorite thing. I do really have kind of a soft spot for this group of women. So, it comes down to 14 books and 8 fragments of the Sibylline oracles that survive today. And it's in an edition of the 6th or 7th century, uh, like, A.D. time frame. Um, they're not to be confused with the original Sibylline books which come from the ancient Etruscans and Romans, which were actually burned by order of the Roman general Flavius Stilicho, Stilicho? I don't know, in the 4th century AD. Sounds like a fun sucker to me. Yeah, that guy sounds like fucking fun police out there. He's like up there with the Vatican. Yeah, for real. Uh, Instead, this text is what is called an odd pastiche. of Hellenistic and Roman mythology, which is also interspoosed. Interspoosed. (laughs) Interspersed with Jewish, Gnostic, and early Christian legend, which is pretty cool, I think. That is interesting. Uh, Some people consider the Sibylline Oracles to be kind of a rather valuable source for information about classical mythology and also early first millennium Gnostic, Hellenistic, Jewish, and Christian beliefs. There are several apocalyptic passages scattered throughout. <laughs> Ugh, which we, mood. we love these crazy bitches in this frenzied state talking about the end of the world. <laughs> this, this is me talking about existentialism after I've had two beers. 
<laughs> I love that. Oh my god. Um, and a lot of the passages that are apocalyptic in nature actually seem to foreshadow themes that are in the Book of Revelations and other apocalyptic literature. Mm-hmm. And the oracles have since undergone extensive editing, rewriting, and redaction as they came to be exploited in wider circles. So unfortunately, I think that we're like very limited in terms of our true nature of what's in the text, and that fucking annoys me. Yeah. But that's fine. And one passage has an acrostic, so it spells out a Christian code phrase with the first letters of successive lines. Isn't that interesting? Wait a minute. So these manic bitches are <laughs> writing it in like, code? Yeah, they were like, let's, let's like predict something, but let's make it a code. You know what? I'm surprised that somebody could figure this out, given the, given the state of cryptos <laughs> and everything that's going on over at the fucking CIA and FBI with those yahoos trying to figure that out. So those anyway. Yahoo. What a bunch of clowns. They so, I, I mean, seriously. So the Sibylline Oracles, in their existing form, you know, redacted and everything else and whatever today, are considered a chaotic medley. They consist of 12 books of various authorship, date, and religious conception. And the final arrangement, uh, thought to be due to an unknown editor of the 6th century AD, does not determine the identity of authorship, time, or religious belief. And many of the books are merely arbitrary groupings of unrelated fragments. I really just feel like this was a group of women who just probably got like super high or something. And then just like, <laughs> by the started way, spouting some crazy shit, unrelated fragments. And what was the, it was chaotic. What chaotic medley. Oh, that's exactly right. It's chaotic uh, medley should be the, the second another band album name. of, yeah, or that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, <laughs> some say that the <laughs> some say that the oracles are anonymous in origin um, and as such were apt to modification and enlargement at pleasure by Hellenistic Jews and Christians for missionary purposes um, that's really all I have to say about that <laughs> <laughs> take that what you will so, so there's that the oldest of the surviving Sibylline oracles uh, appear to be books 3 through 5 which were composed partly by the Jews in Alexandria. And the third oracle seems to have been composed in the reign of Ptolemy the five, six, Ptolemy the six, seven, eight, seven, eight, Philomater. Books one through two may have been written by Christians, though again, um, there may have been like a Jewish original that was then adapted to Christian purposes. Sounds familiar. Sounds so, right. Anyway. Yep. I know. I know. So no again, all of these have big time. All of these um, have undergone many revisions and different insertions of different texts and all that, and so therefore are considered a pastiche of Greek and Roman pagan mythology, employing motifs of Homer and he Hesiod. 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 I don't know. <laughs> Mate, we're gonna go with that. We're gonna go with that. But also Judeo-Christian legends such as the Garden of Eden, Noah, and also the Tower of Babel. Um, as well as Gnostic and early Christian homilies and es eschatological writings, very thinly veiled references to historical figures like Alexander the Great and Cleopatra, as well as many allusions to the events of the later Roman Empire, often portraying Rome in a negative light. Hmm. We enjoy that. So, we sure do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um some say that the surviving texts may include some fragments or remnants of the Sibylline books, which I kind of mentioned earlier, 
with a legendary provenance from the Cumaean Sibyl, which had been kept in temples in Rome. And the original oracular books, which were kept in Rome, were accidentally destroyed in a fire in 83 BC. I don't think it was accidental at all, though, to be honest. No. I, I would I'm put just money saying. that it isn't. No. And that is also, very much not accidental. Also, why did this keep happening back in the day? <laughs> Yeah, like how many how many libraries and shit are gonna are, go like, up? Why are we like every? And also, like I feel like everything was stone. So, like, how are we doing this <laughs> if not like fully on purpose, like using a book as kindling? Right. You know if, what I'm saying? If not, I just right. Really like, feel. It seems weird that it would start from. It would make more sense if it's gonna start from inside the building than outside. Yeah. Exactly. So, so mo- some motherfuckers in there just like. and for everybody wondering what that was that was anna pantomiming the the lighting of a match (laughs) lighting of a flint yes (laughs) yes 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 right right because this is yield why did my formatting get so messed up on this but that's fine so Ah. anyway we love that okay so um uh let's see manuscripts and what happened to the people i was just gonna talk about i was gonna talk about the oracles themselves what happened to it okay well i guess we're not doing that so anyway no i don't know where they went so so anyway we're wondering what might exactly be in like the contents of the oracles which i've kind of touched on this but i'd like to get into it a little bit more right so the contents are for the most part, they're varied character and, and also contain references to peoples, kingdoms, cities, rulers, temples, and etc. I kind of like, instead of viewing these things as like prophecies and stuff like this, I kind of really just feel like it's some early oral histories. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, it seems like they were just, it could have very well just been them talking about what's going on instead of, it. I, I don't really understand why people were so obsessed with prophecies back in the day, but that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're, they're, everything was, like, very tray mystical and shit, I feel. But, like, yeah. you know, and maybe these women had to, like, pretend to be in, like... I mean, it was a group of women, so, like, maybe they had to pretend to be in this, like, frenzied state to get somebody to fucking listen to them to write their shit down. Either that, or maybe they had to pretend to be in a frenzied state so people would actually treat them with reverence and leave them alone. <laughs> There's that, too. So, um, I, I don't know. I'm just, like, the the more that I think about this, the more I feel like it's it's... I don't know. I don't really buy that there's necessarily anything mystical about these yeah. writings. But, yeah. Anyway, uh, Patrick Healy of the Catholic Encyclopedia of 1912 <laughs> hmm, mm. suggests that the present arrangement that we see the oracles in today represents the caprice of different owners or collectors who brought them together from various sources over the years. So, like, basically various people, like, collected this shit, and then they just kind of put them together in whatever order they could kind of f- figure. <laughs> Um, there are there are occasionally uh, verses, though, that many consider to be truly poetical and sublime in nature, and that the general character of the uh, Sibylline <laughs> oracles is overall mediocre. Mediocre. <laughs> Isn't that great? That is great. Um, the order in which the books are numbered does not represent their relative, like, and antwi- and ant- Oh, my God. Let's try it again. Antwi- their relative <laughs> an- antiquity. <laughs> antiquity (laughs) oh my god that was so that was so difficult but anyway 
It's been postulated that Book 4 is generally considered to embody the oldest portions of the oracles, and while many of the older critics saw in it elements that were considered to be Christian, it is now looked on as completely Jewish in nature. And Book 5 has given rise to many divergent opinions, some claiming it as Jewish, others as the work of a Christian Jew, which, what is that? (laughs) But whatever. And others as being largely uh, interpolated by, by a Christian. It also contains, like, so little that can be considered Christian that it is safely set down as Jewish. So we're just going to kind of consistently go back and forth and not agree on anything at all. Now, books six and seven are admittedly of Christian origin because some authors describe book six as as a heretical hymn. But this contention has no evidence supposedly supporting it. So basically, Mm. everybody's just up and down, back and right. Are these religious? If so, which religion? And are these like actually heretical? No, I don't know. Maybe they're. It's just like Jesus it's, guys. I make feel up like your mind. I feel like we're really getting lost in the weeds here. Like, why are you so yeah. obsessed with figuring out what religion it is? Who cares? Just read it. I know, and I just kind of feel like um, that's like a big problem with historical texts and items in general. And I'm like, why does it matter? Let's just look at maybe right. what the item is, what the item was used for and what it can tell us possibly about the society that used it because right. that's history like, and archeology span in my opinion, but that's just me. Well, like, why do we care whose religion it is and why it, it all feels very proprietary and that's so boring to me. And it seems like it's erasing a piece of history in an effort to, figure out whose property it is kind of thing. Not only not only is it boring, but it's just so classic. I mean, it's something we've seen time and time again with right. shit. It's just so typical. And it's just, I don't know, it's really lame. I mean, other than that, I don't have, like, much else on it. Like, a lot of this stuff is, over time, it's been stitched together. Other parts have been redacted. Other parts have been lost. And, and meanwhile, in the Rome, they're going around setting everything on fire, apparently. <laughs> so it's just like, that's what I've gotten. There's really not... I found the passage that I was going to talk about the Sibyls themselves. There's really, that's right. I remember now there's really not much about them. Like they they were like known as the Sibyls. They were often referred to by other early church fathers, which is strange. If these are all women who are supposedly like nature and like everything else, it's strange to me that like the church fathers would quote them and refer to them in paraphrase and everything else. But I don't know. The whole thing is really interesting. I wish there was more information on the women um, maybe I, I don't know, maybe I missed it somewhere, but, um, really that's the sibling oracles. It's just this weird collection of different texts that they are trying to categorize, but really can't be categorized. Some considered, some considered apocalyptic and have like a lot of ties to what's, what becomes, you know, the book of revelations and other things like that. Some are just kind of about like what's going on. And I just kind of really feel like they're just a collection of, it's just an oral history. Yeah. Which if you remove the possessive nature that they seem to want to clamp on everything. It's Mm. just interesting. Which is what it should be. Sorry, I was having water. Yeah. I'm thirsty. Yeah, I have to agree. Like, I don't know. I just, I just think truly that a lot of these writings and I mean, even items and things like that, I don't know, without trying to force them into some sort of cookie cutter narrative and history right. and just kind of looking at them for what they are and what they could have been to people. Right. I think that in and of itself is interesting enough. Like, 
I understand like we try to in history we try to establish these timelines and we try to look at the context in which things were created like mm -hmm. and that's something I actually really enjoy about art history is looking at the context behind a lot of these paintings sure. and things like that you know and what could have influenced them but like I mean really I think we need to call a cookie a cookie and a spade a spade here and just be like look this is this is I, I think an oral history and, and maybe they just appeared frenzied and everything else because I don't know they were like spouting shit that was going on <laughs> they also, were maybe getting a little worked up yeah also i feel like the i mean it's the same thing with literature if you read the like a lot of people think that we read classic books because they're like oh because they make us read it in school but if you understand the context of which the author is writing most of the time it feeds into your understanding of the book as a whole so i feel like yeah yeah, yeah. it we like you're saying we can figure out the context and that helps to give us background on it and maybe why they did it or whatever. But we're also rationalizing it from a perspective that we don't know anything about what it was like to live in that time. So we're using our rationalization that we have now, not that they had then. So yeah, I feel right. like at a certain point, you can only, you you just have to be like, okay, this is what was happening. Instead of being like, this is this yeah. and this is that. Like, we don't know realistically. Yeah, so that's true. It, I just feel like... These women might have seemed frenzied because they found magic mushrooms on the top of a mountain. <laughs> I really hope that is the case. I would really love that for them. I would too. <laughs> or maybe they were just very impassioned women, which people didn't see at that time, so they thought they were crazy. Yeah, maybe. At least they, they revered them. Yeah, well, right. Instead <clears throat> of burning them at the stake, which the world has done too. What is it with, like, fire there's just like a lot of there's a consistent theme of like arson in general <laughs> and then people are like and in hell it's gonna be hot you're like what are we doing here and you're like and so what is this right what do you mean and hell is just a sauna yep and hell is just a sauna that's interesting so, though i do well, feel it, like yeah. it, it was probably more oral history than anything else but also i don't know we just don't know, and that's the spookula bookula history of the Sibylline, Sibylline, however you want to say it, oracles. And that's all I got for you kids today. This is a short episode, but it's a yeah. fun little treat, a fun little something or other. Also, we kind of had an overlap. There are two things that have become, like, kind of antiquated and misunderstood over time. Same. <laughs> Mood. <laughs> mood so yeah but you're right there's there's an overlap there so um, well done and if you guys let us know what you think you know how do you feel about the whole concept of post-mortem photography and do you kind of have the same takeaway as us on on everything and what do you what do you think about these ladies these friends ladies ladies there it is you know. also i just thought of this because i don't know if they still do this but what in italy in the graveyard they have a picture of the person on the headstone and i think that's so interesting that is that is i've seen that here and there but i feel like it's like not as popular here and i also I, feel like maybe it was once upon a time but not so much now yeah i feel like in old school europe it was not old school but a while ago it was more yeah. popular which i think is interesting that is interesting. Well, maybe it kind of stems from the whole postmortem photography thing, sort of, in a sense. Maybe. Which is, I, I yeah, just, you know I think the idea of preserving someone's image like that is fascinating. I will say this, like, I'm totally down to be cremated one day, but, like, if, if that doesn't happen, I want, like, a big, 
fucking creepy angel like right by my headstone <laughs> like i want to give people like nightmares you know because like angels and cemeteries are kind of spookalabook let's They're be real terrifying they're so spooky so i definitely want like a giant motherfucker like hanging out by my gravestone you know I, and actually that can be the quote on my gravestone just like a giant motherfucker hanging over my gravestone quote that's it <laughs> i love to look up i love to look up what famous people like writers and shit have put on their headstones because sometimes people yeah, put hilarious like, things on their headstones they do i also like looking up like last words of people because sometimes that shit's pretty cool too yeah marie antoinette's was like she was apologizing to the guy that be was beheading her i think because she stepped on his foot wow yeah that's like uncharacteristically nice for marie antoinette i think i guess I I guess. Well, we don't know. I didn't know Marie. It's hard to say. It really is. But the French were like, kill him! We're eating rats and they're they're building a gold castle. Yeah, and I mean, like, I totally get why they'd be pissed. Yeah. (laughs) Let's be real. Yeah. 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 I I can kind of pick up what they're putting down there. Yeah. Um, Wow, so that got morbid. And I guess everybody (laughs) has... Mm. Her usual. Until next time, stay strange.